When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's very special episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Hello Windows and Doors. You know, a new door, a new set of windows. They can do a lot of things for you. They can change the vibe, the feeling, the look of your home. They can add value to your home, and it can make your home more energy efficient. Pella checks all those boxes and then some. So now is the time. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with Pella. Check them out online, Pella Omaha. Dot com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Runza. Runza and my pod, we've teamed up, got a pretty exciting summer sweepstakes for you that could win you one free Runza combo meal a month for an entire year. Oh, my God. All you got to do is head over to HerdAppMedia.com backslash sweeps. That's HerdAppMedia.com backslash sweeps to enter for your chance to win. You might get your free runs a game right once per month for an entire year. All you got to do is get registered for your chance to win. That's herdatmedia.com backslash ball sweeps. I think there's a, a link in the podcast description as well. So you click on that link and go there. But it's herdatmedia.com backslash ball sweeps. Head there, get registered. You might be the grand prize winner. Runza makes it all better. Okay, so we got a great podcast on deck for you today. Um, at the end of this podcast, I have some uh, some personal thoughts on Bruce Rasmussen, legendary Creighton Athletic Director, who just announced that he is retiring. Um, I've known I've known Ras for almost twenty years, and I got some some thoughts on on him, his you know what made him special, my relationship with him, uh, and then I also got some thoughts on on Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks winning the NBA title. Uh, incredible series and an incredible performance from Giannis in particular, especially in game six, dropping 50. So I got thoughts on that too. But first, great conversation that I'm excited for you guys to hear. Dirk Chatlin of the Omaha World Herald is my guest today. And I've told you, I like to check in with Dirk every two to three months. And certainly there's a lot of big things to discuss with Trev Alberts as the new athletic director at Nebraska, name, image, and likeness in college sports taking hold. And then also, Bruce Rasmussen and his retirement as AD at Creighton. Dirk wrote a great story about Rass and his journey and impact at Creighton. So we hit on all of that and more. So we got my chat with Dirk. Uh, and then, again, I got some some thoughts on Bruce Rasmussen and Giannis at the end of the podcast. That's kind of the menu for today. But here we go. Let's get to it, man. Here's my podcast chat with Dirk Chatlin of the Omaha World Herald. Enjoy. All right, on the line now, he's Dirk Chatlin, Omaha World Herald. And Dirk, it's it's interesting. I was checking. So we last talked. We did a long, like, hour-plus pod in mid-May. And we hit on a bunch of stuff to the point where, like, when that to- when that pod gets over, I'm like, well, man, I I'm, I don't know when I'm going to be able to talk to Dirk again. We touched on every possible big topic. But, but Nebraska seems to be the gift that just keeps on giving with stories and topics. And... Here we are with a bunch of other big things to talk about. Are are you locked and ready to go? 
Well, I did not anticipate three new local athletic directors uh, in the month of July, which is supposed to be the slowest month on the calendar. <laughs> right. uh, but but that's sort of the, the nature of the beast, I think. And, uh, you know, that's why they call it news. Right. It's, uh, you know, it's it's been kind of a crazy summer. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of been back to normal with, you know, College World Series and Senior Open and some big events and uh, on the other hand, it really feels like kind of an era of change. I mean, this the name, image, and likeness stuff is is just uncomfortable, I think, for everybody because nobody really knows where it's going to go. Uh, I think, you know, if I was an athletic director or a head coach, it would just cause me a lot of anxiety just trying to wrap my arms around that. Uh, it's just – it really feels like kind of a – sort of a transition era in local sports in a lot of different ways. Has the real quick with the and we'll get to Trev and to Rass here in a second with the cuz I wrote down I wondered if I was going to have time but you bring up the NIL stuff. I mean, we're 21 days into it. Has it gone how you thought it would go? Uh cuz I'm with you there's a part of me that that I don't know why I approach it like uh in this oh boy sort of fashion when maybe I don't need to. Well, I think what's going to happen, um, I think over the next year or two, there's going to be, there's going to develop a pretty intricate, uh, sort of infrastructure around it, you know, that will, I think right now it's just so, it's just so unorganized. Uh, it's kind of the wild, wild west. Uh, and I think what's going to happen is it's going to become much more organized, not only from the school standpoint, but also I think you're going to see, you know, lots of different business models, you know, agencies that, that sort of develop around it, um, that help athletes, you know, maximize their, their earnings potential. And so I think you'll see, you know, you're going to see a lot more, um, sort of training for this stuff. I think you're going to see, you know, you're going to see it bubble down to high school athletics, I think, yeah. where, you know, how can you, how can you prepare for this as a, as an 18 year old athlete? Uh, how can you maybe take advantage of it, you know, sooner rather than waiting all the way till college? I just think the, the ripple effect of this thing has not really, has not really happened yet. Uh, I think all we've seen is like the immediate splash. And, uh, I think we're going to have a much better idea of what this thing is and what it all entails, probably over the next year or two. But I think, you know, there's just going to be a, a whole nother environment that sort of builds up around it to support it um, in the same way that, you know, anytime there's sort of a new industry, there's there's kind of a, uh, a rush of, of people that respond to it and try to take advantage of it. And I think that's kind of where this is headed. Right now, it just feels – it just feels so – you know, willy nilly, it's like, Oh, I'm a fast food restaurant. You know, here's, here's <laughs> right. 10 bucks. If right. you tweet my, you know, right. tweet my advertisement and it's, it's going to get much, much more structured than that over time. Well, I think two things for me with, with, as I've digested this for three weeks here, it will seep into recruiting. It yes. will. And I can't help but worry about what ultimately all that looks like. And then the other thing I think people have kind of lost sight of is thank God this happened on July 1st and not October 1st or December 1st. There's nothing going on right now. Nobody's in season, right? Like, I'll be real curious what all this looks like once games and seasons start happening. Like, 
Trey McGowan's Bryce McGowan's, this podcast. Okay, you just went to Wisconsin, got beat by 28. Both of you were a combined two for 21. You recording a podcast, and what are you going to say? Adrian Martinez, you just lost at Oklahoma and threw four picks and got benched. You're going to record a podcast? What are you going to say? You know, like all those kinds of things. I, I'm just, once the season gets started, I'm real, real curious what all this stuff looks like. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a great point. Another another thing that I think is worth exploring, or at least you know thinking about, is is the long term impact on high school athletics because I think it's going to be very difficult for the NSAA, for instance, to tell Hunter Salas um, that he can't go work uh, a high school basketball camp or do an autograph session or whatever. Um, I, I know it's a different level. I know that, you know, theoretically those schools will have authority to, to legislate, but I just think, you know, it's kind of a slippery slope. And once you start offering those opportunities to amateur athletes, I don't know where that stops. I agree. Um, I think it, you know, there's, if, if a high school athlete has, you know, 50,000 Instagram followers, uh, how does a state body or a school even, you know, h- how do they legislate or, or regulate that athlete from, uh, from profiting off of their name, image, and likeness? I mean, I think it's very difficult. I think the, you know, the doomsday scenario for high school athletics is that it just becomes uh, an entirely private uh, private structure where everybody's playing through AAU and select and, and basically nobody's playing uh, sports connected to their school. I think you will find some people that will, that would predict that five or 10 years down the road. And, right. and I think the, the NIL stuff could be a accelerator uh, of that could be an accelerator yeah. or an igniting force to get to that point. Um, and I don't know how I feel about that because, too. you know, on, on one hand it's like, okay, you know, Nick Baugh, it's, it's, um, you know, it's the fall of, of 2001 and you just won a state championship at Lincoln Southeast. And, you know, you're a, a big time recruit for Lincoln Southeast. And, you know, if, if, if uh, pinnacle bank or uh, you know, the local bank in, in Lincoln wants to, wants to sign you to, to promote their stuff at Lincoln Southeast, you know, why, why should somebody tell you? No, I, I don't have a strong opinion on that. I just think one of the ripple effects of this is going to be how it filters down into high school athletes. Right. Yeah. I and again, I, I want to give this NIL stuff like the the grace and the rope to kind of like sort itself out, you know. I mean again, we're three weeks into it and you can't help but like paint these questions and doomsday scenarios. But nevertheless, I think all the things that we've kind of laid out are are things that, that are going to come down the pike eventually and and got to get sorted out. So we'll see what ends up happening with it, man. I mean, but it's, yeah, uh, it's and, wild. You know, I, I'm sure you feel this way, and I especially feel this way. It's just – I just feel like kind of a um, – like a rookie trying to figure all this out. Me too. I mean, and like I said, if you are in compliance or if you are Bruce Rasmussen or Bill Moose, um, I think it would be really intimidating yes. trying to trying to lead a department through something like this, uh, knowing that the competitive consequences are so significant that if you if you don't get it right, if you're not a visionary, uh, you are very likely to fall behind your comp- your competition. 
Um, and yet, you know, if you're not, if you're not Blake Lawrence, uh, I'm not sure how much expertise you really have in this stuff. I'm not sure anybody has it. Right. Uh, because again, I just, I don't know if, if you can predict the consequences of this at this point. And frankly, I don't think the NCA has any interest in, in going after anybody. So, so, you know, it's one of those that it's almost better to ask, you know, forgiveness than permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and to do that, you really have to have a sort of a cutting edge, um, uh, you know, aggressive mentality that, that risks, you know, putting you in some ethical quandaries. Uh, but, but I think you do so, uh, with, with, uh, in, in pursuit of the best opportunity for your school. I mean, if, if it was just about the athletes profiting and maximizing their earnings potential, I think, you know, you could sort of wrap your arms around it, but the, but the competitive part of this is so important. You know, it's how Nebraska uses it to try to bring the best athletes in to win games. It's how, you know, it's how Creighton markets itself and, and opportunities in the community to, to bring recruits on campus. I mean, that's the hard part. It's not just about money. It's about how you use that money to pave the way to, to greater success on the field. Well, yeah, I, I've talked about this because I I think you bring up the competitive, I don't know, integrity is maybe a strong word, the competitive, but like, if you think about every sport outside of maybe major league baseball, but even they have some semblance of perimeters and guidelines, but like basically every sport is operating with the same set of parameters of guidelines in how you acquire players and buy and build a roster. Right, like the NBA, the way they do it, the NFL, the way they do it. The 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 cool thing about a lot of these leagues is like the way Milwaukee can build its roster is the same way that the Atlanta Hawks are allowed to build their roster. And I just I don't see how I'm I'm struggling to see how that's going to permeate in this new world of college basketball and college football where everyone's operating, and I get it, like there's always been cheaters and bags of money and and illegal things going on, but for the most part, the way Nebraska built its football roster in 2001 was the same way that Miami built its roster in 2001, right? Like, I feel like moving forward, I don't know if that's going to be entirely true. Well, think about this. Think about how crazy this is. You could put two head coaches, two head football coaches in the same room. And you could put a scenario in front of them and say, is this, is this a legal and B ethical? Uh, and you might get completely different answers based on, you know, which coach you ask the question to. And that's like, that's new. That's different. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, it, to this point, everybody had the, some basic, you know, common agreement about what was right, what was wrong, what was permissible, what was prohibited. Uh, now we've reached the point where I don't feel like anybody's on the same page. And I think that becomes, uh, that becomes just kind of a, a competitive mess. You yes. know, I mean, it's to this point, if somebody was getting a, a duffel bag full of money, uh, 99.9% of people, uh, would agree that that was, you know, that that was impermissible. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, you know, you might get half the people who say yes and half the people who say no. It's like, uh, you know, it's like the, the, the tax code. It's like, you know, what's legal and what's not. So (laughs) I I think it's going to become, it's going to become a competitive mess just trying to organize all this. And it's where you really need a strong central body 
that can be kind of a, a leader or a visionary on this. And the NCAA just has no interest in doing that. And so the conferences are going to take the lead. Uh, but you might have conferences that have very, very different ideas about what is fair and what's not. Right. And and the ramifications of that will be really, really interesting to, to see. Um, we, okay. I mean, so let, let's get into Trev. Trev Alberts here. I mean, I, I've for me... I like the hire, and then the more I've thought about it, I like it more. What 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 about you? Like, what's the if you have to, if if you would have to say the prevailing reason in your mind you think Trev Alberts is a good hire for Nebraska? What would you? How would you answer that question? Well, I do think it's a good hire. It's it's who I thought they should have hired three weeks ago um, when we were hearing lots of other names. Um, so, you know, I, I might sound a little bit like a homer on this. I, I certainly know people who don't like the hire and yeah. who don't like him personally. Uh, I know people who think that he's insincere, uh, that he is, you know, that he's underqualified. Uh, I've certainly heard all that. And I've heard it from people who who I consider friends. Uh, but the flip side of that is I think he's a really, really bright person. Um, with uh, an excellent background for the position as a student athlete, as, you know, as an administrator at a small school where he wasn't, you know, where he was sort of cutting his teeth at the same time, you know, not getting a lot of the limelight uh, that he might have somewhere else. Um, I think with the football situation, it's really important to bring in an AD that has, some sort of local street cred. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Trev Alberts has that more than most candidates would have. Had you brought in, you know, let's say, um, let's say somebody from, from, uh, from, from Colorado state or an assistant from, you know, the university of Ohio state or or something like that. Um, I, I think, you know, there would be some skepticism about that person's motives and their expertise, their local knowledge, uh, I don't think you have that same, you know, problem with Alberts. I think he's he satisfies the old guard, uh, while at the same time, I think you know people respect that he's he's going to have enough of an open mind himself. He's certainly not a pushover. I think he has high integrity. Uh, he's pretty strict on some certain things. You know, he's 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 strict when it comes to compliance and and student athlete, you know, getting in trouble on Friday night and stuff like that. He's going to take all that very seriously. So I just think it checks a lot of boxes. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's been through some storms. Uh, I think he has connections to the booster base, yep. uh, into the, into the regents that is really, really important. You know, I think Nick, you, you know, this as well as anybody, but I think probably the most important thing going into a football season that nobody knows where it's going to go, uh, is to have someone that people can kind of, uh, that, that they can, that they can rally around that you can, you know, can unite around. Uh, and I think Alberts does that better than almost any candidate available. Uh, I don't think, you know, even an Ed Stewart, for instance, uh, even a John Cook, for instance, I don't know if, you know, if it checks as many boxes as Alberts does. So, uh, does that mean it's going to work out? Not necessarily because we've, you know, we've seen it go bad many times before, but, but I think he stands as good a chance 
uh, in the fire as anybody does. Yeah, because you wrote about this, and I've talked about it, and it's the elephant in the room. The state of the football program makes this whole situation really complicated. And it wouldn't surprise me if it scared off some candidates, but it also wouldn't surprise me if it made Trev the on, the the best candidate because he is the only guy that I think is uniquely equipped to handle any sort of turbulence with the football program. And, you know, again, I think you've said it, like if Frost gets it going, th- you could make a case this athletic director job's cushy and easy, you know, yeah. cushy and easy in air quotes, but if Frost continues to struggle, this thing's gonna get gonna get real bumpy, and I, I think finding another guy that has equal to, or in some people's estimation, it's always hard when it's a quarterback. But like, you could make a case that Trev's got just as much rock star cachet as the former Husker as Scott Frost does, and so I think beyond a bunch of other things, like if I were Ronnie Green and I'd have been on that search committee everything I just laid out would have risen him to the top of my list of candidates. Yep. Street cred, sweat equity, all that stuff is really important. I think it's, I think it's critical that, um, you know, people feel confident that the new athletic director was coming in to help Scott Frost rather than, you know, to, to look for a reason to get rid of Scott Frost. Um, and I think Trevor Alberts will do that. Um, you know, I think it's important to point out that, that things are not, I mean, I'm sure you hear the same thing. I mean, there was not a lot of just daily operational organization down there. Uh, it was, things are, are not running full speed, uh, and haven't been for quite a while. And I think, you know, some of the, some of the disunity is, is uh is part of that i also think they just need a little bit more of a of a guiding hand i think in the ad chair so um you know we'll see how it goes i mean alberts has i i think he's again i think he's really really smart i think he's um i think he's uh he's well respected among you know most of the people who who occupy the most important positions down there um but you know it's it's not easy when you're walking into a situation that that has you know a bit as big an operation as Nebraska is with as many different things going on, and uh, you know we're, we're talking about twenty to thirty years of scar tissue at this point. And right. It's, it's hard for people to uh, it's hard to people to for for people to forget some of that. So uh, you know I, I don't want to simplify it and say it's all dependent on the Nebraska football program. But I think, uh, you know, in large degree, we're going to know a lot more in six months. Well, yeah, because you know, you bring up, you know, the Bill Moose and 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 kind of. I think one of the things that makes it hard to kind of sink your teeth into all of this is, I think all of us are still kind of looking at each other and and squinting, like, what really ha- the circumstances behind his retirement. If you knew fully what that was, that may impact how you kind of assess everything, right? Like, because you get some people like maybe Nebraska felt like they needed to position someone just in case. Now, this is like conspiracy Twitter guy. Like, just in case the season doesn't go well, you don't want to have Moose be the guy. You want to have someone else be the guy. Or maybe did something behavioral happen with Moose and they had to move on? Or did Moose like? I also think there's a there's there. There's a big unanswered question with how he left that I think is would help me continue to digest what's happening now. Yeah. Well, I would be surprised. 
I would be very surprised if people in charge at Nebraska, um, either at the regions level, the administrative level, the booster level, whatever, uh, if they were planning for Scott Frost's demise. Right. Um, I think it's certainly on the table. I think it's, you know, it's a possibility. Um, I don't think fans should, should go into this season, you know, thinking that it's a do or die thing. I don't think that's healthy for anybody. Um, I would be highly surprised if Scott Frost, you know, isn't back in, in 2022. Um, so, you know, I don't think anybody's necessarily preparing for that in the same way that they might've been, you know, with Mike Riley in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I do think that, that there was just, there was enough sort of, uh, waywardness or lack of discipline, uh, that that people in charge just wanted a little bit stronger leader and i think you know alberts should bring some some steadiness down there uh including the football program that probably has has been lacking the last couple of years how can how can trev help frost like how, how how can how can he help him achieve what what he ultimately wants to achieve Well, it's a good question Um, because I think, you know, I think an AD has to be careful. Um, And I'm sure Alberts will be very careful at first about, you know, about imposing too much influence or or trying to have too much involvement, especially so close to a football season. Um, But I think, you know, I think he can bring, he can help sort of calm the waters a little bit externally you know, I think internally Scott Frost is, you know, there's no lack of, uh, there's no lack of voices in the room. And I know, I know Scott is, you know, here's, here's from people on the outside a lot, uh, and seeks some of them out and, and doesn't seek others out and, and hears from them, you know, all the same. But, but I think that, um, you know, there's, there's probably some, um, some just work behind the scenes that, that, can be done. I think that Trev can help with to, to sort of, uh, you know, smooth over some of the things that have happened the last few years, uh, to sort of, you know, give a little bit of confidence or a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, again, a little steadiness to the situation, but, but that's, I mean, I don't know if I, if I have a great answer for that. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know. That's why I asked. I, I sincerely don't know. I mean, cause I don't know if sometimes I mean, I'll, I'll we overdo you, I'll it. I'll give or... you one example. I mean, I think Nebraska, and this has been well documented, uh, partly by me and partly by Sam and partly by other media uh, media people. Um, you know, Gary has a, has a great has a great sense of this. But Nebraska's reputation in the city of Omaha is 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 as bad as I've seen it in a long, long time, and uh, probably ever seen it. And, and I think you know the football struggles are part of that. Uh, there just isn't a great uh, connectivity to the city of Omaha, like there needs to be for Nebraska to succeed in, in any athletics, especially in football. Um, and I would, I would think that Trev's experience in Omaha and his connections in Omaha, you know, would, would make that a little bit easier, um, would help, would help, you know, sort of repair some of those relationships. Um, again, I had a guy ask me the other day, he's like, he's like, why is Nebraska losing all these guys from, you know, from local high schools to Missouri, Oklahoma and Missouri yeah. and places like this. And I'm like, 
I'm like, you just, you don't understand And Nick, you understand it, but, but you know, a lot of people don't understand people, kids in Omaha look at Lincoln the way that kids in Lincoln look at Grand Island or Kearney, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, uh, if, if they're not winning down there, uh, there's just not that much of an impetus to, to go be part of it. I mean, it's, it's more of a draw to, to leave and go somewhere else than it is to go to the university of Nebraska. So I think Trev could, you know, could help repair that could provide some stability and repair some of those relationships. You know, I know Barrett is, is doing that on a daily basis. I know, you know, there's lots of people down there that are working on it. Uh, but I think it would help to have a, a little bit of an administrative voice that's, that's trying to accomplish the same thing. Yeah. I mean, because yeah, the, the the Omaha thing is, even though I get it, I still don't get it. Like it, it's still, <laughs> you, you know, like ultimately it's, there's a part of me can understand like the, because is it all just about Nebraska hasn't won? Because on one hand I go, well, maybe Trev can help that. But I go, well then, but isn't what we just laid out all about winning? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, like is it still just go back to it's winning? It's, it's, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing. Uh, I, I think, I just think it's hard. You know, kids have an instinct to want to, to want to see what's out there. Um, and, and I know that, you know, I know you had a little bit of that. I know, yes. you know, most people do. And, and a lot of times what is keeping you home is, is the idea of succeeding at home. You know, it's the idea of winning. And, and if you're not winning, uh, I think it almost works. I think proximity almost works against you, uh, rather than working on your, you know, working as an advantage to you. So, um, you know, it's, there's a fine line between being Fred Hoiberg and being able to sell Isaac Trout on being the first, you know, the first local kid to win an NCAA tournament game in Nebraska. And, uh, on the other hand, a kid, you know, looking at it and saying, well, you haven't won, you know, in years. Why, why are you going to start winning now? And if you don't win now, you know, it's going to be miserable down there. Everybody's going to be wondering what's wrong with, with my team. So, uh, I'm going to go somewhere else. I, I think it's, it's probably a little bit dependent on the kid, but I do think that Nebraska's lack of success and just lack of, of, of credibility in the city of Omaha has really hurt a lot of different programs. And I think for me, I, I think sometimes we underestimate the influence that, that older high school kids have on younger high school kids. And what I mean by that is I think kids also have an instinct to follow a trail that someone they know has walked and been and had success in. Like you can't tell me that, you know, Josh Dotzler going to Creighton how, how that, you know, then Antoine Young goes and then Josh Jones goes and then Kyrie Thomas goes and then Justin Patton goes and then Sharif Mitchell goes. Like all those kids at some point kind of Antoine viewed Josh in in a very favorable way. Josh went to Creighton. Well, I can do that. And then same thing for Kyrie and Justin. Like I think as much as anything that matters too, like not only do they need to win, they really need Xavier Betts or Nick Henrich or like some Omaha kid to go to Nebraska, ball out, and then that becomes like, yeah, I'm going to go do what, what, what Betts did. I'm going to go do what Henrich did. And that just hasn't really existed at a high level lately either. No, it hasn't. And, and sometimes I have to remind myself, you know, how many times, how many losing seasons Nebraska's had in the last, you know, five or seven years. Cause it's almost like I forget, you know, it's like, uh, it's hard for, I think it's really hard to imagine yourself being 16 or 17 years old. And the only Nebraska 
football that you know or Nebraska basketball that you know is is one of of failure you know it's like why why would you sign up for that um so you know that's it's a hard pill to swallow but but the the Nebraska that they're looking at is is not necessarily the same Nebraska that that you and I are, are remembering I mean when I you know when I think of um you know to me Nebraska struggling is 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 2000, uh, 2005, it's 2010, it's 2000, you know, 13. It's, it's, uh, I almost look past the last couple of years. It's almost sort of a blur to me and to them it's, you know, it's all they've ever known. So, um, I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's an example of, of a potential advantage of having, you know, the athletic director at, at Nebraska Omaha go down there. Uh, because I think, I think he will at least have a perspective on that uh, that that an external candidate would not have had. Right, because I, I think because it's good to hear you kind of touch on this because I thought I, I was listening. Damon, I thought put it best on sixteen twenty when he kind of talked about how listen, if Trev Alberts was truly hated in Omaha to the degree that maybe social media wants to portray him as. Well, then how could have, have he survived and thrived in Omaha for a decade? Like, he wouldn't have been able to. And, like, his I, – sometimes I think his approval rating is a little higher than maybe what we all want to paint it as. And I think all this goes back to – I just want to real quick get your thoughts on the cutting of UNO wrestling and football because that's still the, the thing that, that gets brought up all the time. And for me, Dirk, like – I'm not condoning or excusing how Trev did what he did in terms of, how, you know, calling the wrestling, like right after they win a national championship, calling them saying, hey, your program's cut, right? Like, but I also think the people that are pointing to that, I think are being a little disingenuous with that being their biggest gripe. Like the reality is, however he cuts the wrestling program, people are still going to be upset, you know, like. I, I, how do you kind of view being a decade removed from UNO wrestling and football being drop because you know because you were in the city like that was as tumultuous of an event that still is felt today yeah uh this is not to put down the wrestlers at all but it it is a little bit funny how many people are bothered by something that happened to the UNL wrestling program yes uh you know ask ask how many of those people actually went to UNL wrestling events right uh, couldn't agree more you know that that's that's another point but but I think um I think I think UNO, you know, based on everything that I that I've know and read uh, and have heard, you know, UNO was in a was in a really tough spot financially uh, ten years ago, and and felt like they needed to, uh, you know, pursue Division One, or they basically had to either ante up or or back away from athletics entirely. And um, you know, I think they the the move that they made was was unconventional i think it um in some ways it succeeded in some ways it hasn't i think you know i look back on a couple of these past uh these past uh uno conference championship games in men's basketball and if they would have sealed the deal on one or two of those i think you know albert's albert's uh standing in in the community might be different um they weren't able to do it uh but you know they've They've had some success in certain areas. I mean, uh, you know, it's sort of a small footprint athletic program, which, you know, is not a huge surprise in the shadow of Creighton and Nebraska. 
Um, I think the football thing, it's just odd. I mean, I look back at the football thing and, and all the guys that came out of that program, um, you know, including Shaq Barrett, by the way, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and just the incredible talent that came out of there. And yet it, it had a really hard time, you know, generating enthusiasm in Omaha, um, partly because of the competition, partly because of what was going on in Lincoln. Um, but I think the football thing was just going to be really difficult financially based on, you know, the lack of support that it was getting in the community. And, um, you know, when you, when you sort of face that reality and start and start messing around with the numbers, I think, you know, Albert's had to do something different. And I think, um, you know, in some ways, in some ways it's paid off in some ways it hasn't. Um, but I think put in, put in a similar situation. I think a lot of people would have ended up doing something similar, um, even though it made a lot of people mad. This episode of the Nick Bob podcast is brought to you by Runza. Runza and my pod have teamed up for a sweet summer sweepstakes that can win you some great prizes, including an amazing grand prize. Head over to herdapmedia.com backslash ba sweeps. That's herdapmedia.com backslash ba sweeps and enter for your chance for the grand prize of, wait for it, one Runza combo meal a month for an entire year, plus a Nick Bob podcast t-shirt. That's right. One Runza combo meal a month for an entire year. Absolutely incredible. Plus, there are other great prizes as well. So head over to herdapmedia.com backslash boss sweeps. Get registered, and you might get your free Runza game right once per month for an entire year. Again, that's herdapmedia.com backslash boss sweeps to enter. Runza and the Nick Bob podcast, a winning combination trying to make you a winner. Runza makes it all better. Dirk, you, we, you've kind of hit on this, but I wanted to, I want to kind of sum it up with, with a question that I wrote down for you because I, I don't think this season is do or die for Frost. But, nope. but my question is, does Trev Albert's arrival as athletic director, its impact on, on Scott Frost's job, does it A, make it more secure, B, make it less secure, or C, no difference, the results will speak for themselves and seal the security? Meaning if he wins, he's all good. If he doesn't, he's maybe going to be in trouble. Yeah, I think it's more likely to be option C. Yeah. Um, I think that... You know, this stuff is always hard to prepare for, right? I mean, it it's just so hard to predict the future because I've, I've done this. I've lived through enough of this stuff now, and, and you have too. Um, you know, I still remember talking to Steve Peterson on July 23rd of 2007, the day that he got his contract extension. Uh, from Harvey Perlman and talking to him about all the things that were going well in the athletic department. And, you know, Bill Callahan was, was trending in the right direction and uh, things were on the up and up. And then, you know, two and a half months later, I'm standing in the administration building hallway and Peterson walks out of Perlman's office and, uh, and he just gotten fired. And, and so these things change so fast that, that I think, you know, trying to predict what might happen is, is often kind of a fool's errand. But I I think that, I think Frost, because of his equity, because of, you know, his, his relative popularity, um, because of the pandemic year last year, I think he's more than likely to get the benefit of the doubt 
you know, even this year, if things don't go well. And I think that would have been true with Bill Moose. I think it will still be true with Trev Alberts. I think if, you know, people have learned here that uh, continuity and longevity is, is important. And there is a lesson from the, from the Frank Solich years uh, that, that when in doubt, you know, you need to, you need to let it play out a little bit. So, so I think Frost is, you know, is going to be here next year, regardless. Yep. I also don't think Nick that it's necessary. I mean, there's a lot of, this is weird coming from me, but I'm a little surprised how much pessimism there is around the program and the team. I mean, you know, I realized they got piff- they got picked fifth in the Big Ten, um, you know, standings, the the media poll. Um, I realize, you know, what has happened the last few years, but but I think Nebraska actually has a chance this fall. You know, I mean, it's I, I, they've they've got they've got a good defense. They've got you know they've got some semblance of of uh, you know the offense isn't going to be great, but but it can't be worse. And, and I just think that, I don't know, there just seems to be a lot of like, like almost like, a, you know, like self-fulfilling prophecy here that, that it's going to end in a debacle. And, and I just, I, I find some of that to be quite premature. Yeah, I'm with you. It's weird. And again, you've experienced it. Usually the circle of Husker football life is season kicks off uh, of late, of late, just over the past decade. Season kicks off. There are high hopes. The season kind of ends up disappointing a lot of people. People then are upset a little bit at the end of the year. The offseason plays out. People's mindset changes. It goes to optimistic. Kool-Aid season ensues. People talk themselves into all the reasons why Nebraska is going to gonna be have a, have a good year. And then when the season hits off, there's usually a lot of kind of positive vibes. And I, I honestly feel like this might be the first year that I don't really feel that cycle. If anything, I see it like somehow I feel like the general, just generally speaking in, a, in general terms, I think the, the view of the fan base on the team and the season is less pessimistic today or, or is, is more pessimistic today than it was at the end of last season. And that is totally different than how it usually is for, for, from my experience. Yeah, it reminds me of a. <laughs> it reminds me of playing like Excite Bike on Nintendo back in like 1989, and you know you push a little too hard on the turbo and you overheat, and then the you know the meter goes back down and you kind of refresh, recharge, and then you can you can hit full throttle, right. full throttle again, and it's like the fans never, it's like they've never really taken the deep breath and let optimism. Uh, fill back up. I mean, it's just weird. It's it's sort of like we're back in February or March in the cycle, like you just said. And but like, uh, why is and, that? You know, why do you think that is? I'm sure. Tr- I'm really. I'm wondering what. I don't know if it's the. I mean, you can point to the Oklahoma thing a little bit, but like, I don't know why that would necessarily make it so you just are doom and gloom on things for the season. I don't know. I'm trying yeah, to really figure just, out what it is. I just. It's weird how how often talking to people, you know, just like ordinary fans. I mean, I'm not talking about athletic department personnel or anybody like that, but it's, it's weird just in ordinary conversations, how often in the last, even like three months, the question has sort of focused on, you know, what do you think is going to happen to frost this fall? Right. <laughs> it's right. like, 
it's like, geez, you know, there's like not even any talk about making a Big Ten West run. There's not even any talk about, you know, winning eight or nine games. It's almost like people are addicted to the drama of it. Um, and, and, you know, I, I know that's silly. I mean, people would rather win than lose. But but I think people have just been so conditioned to expect the worst and have been let down so many times uh, that it really is – it's really kind of hard to summon that same level of optimism that they're used to. And, right. um, you know, last year – the last two years were, were really, really hard. I mean, it's um, – you know, last year was, was extraordinary in, in different ways, but, but I, I think there was just, there was so much expectation that Frost was going to figure this out and he hasn't yet. And, uh, and you're just sort of kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop at this point. Yeah. So, uh, but, but, but again, I don't think their road ahead is, is so daunting that, that failure is inevitable. I mean, I think, you know, there's a, there's a very good chance in my opinion that they're going to go, you know, seven and five, eight and four. And by the time you get to December, everybody's looking forward to, to his fifth season. So, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out, but, but I like you, I'm a little bit surprised by, by sort of the doom and gloom at this point in the calendar year. I am totally with you. Uh, before we get to, to Rass and talking about Bruce Rasmussen, I, I, Help me understand something, Dirk, with help me understand the national media's view on and approach with Nebraska. Because just this week, just this week, there's kind of been two big national columns kind of kind of ripping Nebraska. Barry Trammell, the Oklahoman, wrote a pretty scathing column on Nebraska. Adam Rittenberg, I don't know if you want to call it scathing, but it certainly, you know, illustrated all of the shortcomings of the program over the last decade. And I guess for me, and this might be the Lincoln, the Lincoln Nebraskan coming out here, but like, well, I tell you, Dirk, for a quote unquote irrelevant program, boy, yeah. do they sure like to write about Nebraska. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I was surprised. Uh, you know, I subscribed to a couple national podcasts that come into my podcast feed, you know, every day or every week. Right. And, and, and two of those national podcasts, uh, in the headline of the new podcast was, you know, Nebraska gets a new AD and it's like, you know, think about this now, this is like the, the 40 or 50th most successful football program in the country, uh, over the last five years. Right. And, and the headline of the day is that, is that that school gets a new athletic director? Like, really? Right. Um, but I, you know, it, it does sort of speak to the push and pull of, um, you know, relevance, you know, and irrelevance and sort of the external, I think, joy that, or entertainment, I guess. It's not so much a joy, it's just entertainment that, that people get from, from Nebraska's soap opera, you know? And, and I don't even know if it's, Nebraska's failures as much as it is just sort of Nebraska's soap opera. Um, you know, it's, it's probably the way that we look at, uh, you know, Notre Dame during the Charlie Weiss era or, um, you know, some of the, some of the big national names that have struggled, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's been Tennessee or the Dallas Cowboys or whatever. I mean, right. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of this is shaped by, 
the people who are commenting or writing are oftentimes those who, uh, you know, who have very distinct memories of when Nebraska was on top. You know, it's not necessarily 30-year-olds making these comments. It's often 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds making the comments. So I think they have very vivid memories of Nebraska being on top. So it's more interesting to them, you know, that Nebraska is is still sort of – uh, scraping and clawing and, and trying to get back to where they were. And they, you know, they have very vivid memories of Trev Alberts, you know, it's like, they know who Trev Alberts was. They remember him from, you know, from the orange bowl and from ESPN and Mel Kuyper and all this stuff. So some of that makes sense, but I, I agree with you that it, it, it is, it's odd how often Nebraska, a, a seemingly, you know, irrelevant program nationally is sort of relevant at the water cooler or at least the internet water cooler. Right. Um, right. And I think that, you know, at some point that's going to expire. Sure. But, uh, I guess. but I think that, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy that, that here we are 27 years after Trev Alberts last played a football game at Nebraska. And he's, you know, he's still right on the tip of the tongue of a lot of people who are commenting on college football. Yeah, I just think it's interesting. You know, it's just every a, a lot of these national media members want to tell you how irrelevant Nebraska is, but then they, you know, they're constantly writing about him. And well, it's just it, a weird dynamic. Part of it, Nick, and this is this is not an exaggeration. Uh, part of it is they are responding to their audience, and the Nebraska fan base is so fanatical right. that that they are you know, they are, um, they're reading, they're listening, they're commenting, they're, you know, consuming and engaging. And if, you know, if you're making the same conversation about what's happening at, at, you know, Ole Miss or University of Arizona, there's just not the same audience for it. So, uh, I think in some cases it's a response to the Nebraska fan base's interest in that. Right. Right. You're right. I mean, there's no question that ultimately they're, they're going to follow where the, the reaction is, you know, that's not to say it's clickbait or anything like that, but like, it's, you know, I mean, ultimately you're, you're, you're trying to get eyeballs on things and get a reaction. And, and I guess that, if, if you put Nebraska in any sort of headline, it's going to get a reaction, I yeah. suppose. It's just interesting to me. I just I wrote that down. I'm like, I don't – just <laughs> couldn't believe Barry Trammell and then Rittenberg. It's like, wow, this is uh, this is just this week. You know, it's it's amazing. Um, yeah. it's Well, and, and, you know, it fits a theme though, right? It's like – and I guess that's – externally it fits a theme that Nebraska can't get out of the 90s rut. Yep. And it, that's a very, very convenient narrative – uh, for people to to sort of, you know, bang that drum over and over, and it's, um, you know, th- there's a lot of parts of of sports and society where if it fits into a very neat narrative, True. it's it's going to gain more attention. True. And I think that's the part that that has frustrated me a little bit about the Alberts response nationally, is it's like, you know, who else would you rather Nebraska hire, like? You know, the guy's been an AD for 12 years. He, I mean, he checks going back to the, to the box checking, he checks more boxes than almost anybody. Would you really rather bring in, you know, the, the, the West Virginia athletic director or something like that? It it would not fit the narrative as much, um, you know, but it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't solve Nebraska's problems in football. It doesn't, it doesn't help, you know, Sean Eichhorst, did not fit the going back to the nineties narrative. Uh, and he didn't succeed. Bill right. Moose didn't fit it. He didn't succeed. It's like, 
Um, you know, I'm not sure what the critics of Nebraska want at this point. Um, because just because a, a former player is taking the AD job or the head coaching job, you know, th- that doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not trying to modernize. It's just oftentimes you're, you're picking the best, you're, you're picking the best candidate in front of you. I totally agree. I, I, I completely agree. Um, with, with, so from one athletic director situation to another, it's amazing that this all went down in the last, you know, seven to 10 days, Bruce Rasmussen announces uh, that that he w- is going to retire and his last day will be August 16th. And you wrote a great story. I urge everybody to go read it on Omaha.com. Make sure you subscribe to the World Herald, get a paper. But you wrote a great story on Bruce Rasmussen and his, his journey and impact at Creighton. What, what to you, what is, what's his gift? What's his greatest gift as an athletic director that kind of makes him unique? Yeah, I was trying to think about that. Um... I think you could go a lot of different directions with that question. I think in some sense it's talent evaluation. Yeah. Um, you know, he recognized something in, in, you know, Kirsten Bernthal Booth, um, in Dana Altman that others didn't necessarily see, um, or maybe not, maybe would not have seen. I think that is part of it. I think part of it is, is, you know, just a, a genuine small town humility and compassion and, you know, good naturedness um, that that probably comes from a lot of different life experiences. And then I think the other part of it is just he just works his damn tail off, you know, and that's I mean, that's a huge part of of the skill set. Um and I think anybody that knows Bruce knows how hard he's worked for how long. And I think it's a huge, it's a huge piece of who, who he is. I don't know how you can necessarily, you know, encapsulate the ability to remember people's names and, you know, to do all the little things that he does that I think leaves a mark with people. Um, but I think at the root of it, it comes back to work ethic um, he, he's done some things over the years that, you know, I'm probably not at Liberty to speak about, but that have just kind of knocked my socks off just little personal touches, yeah. um, with people that, that people, you know, ordinary ADs would not do or would not have the time to do or not find the time to do. Um, I, I just am really, really impressed by his personal touch. I think it would have been interesting how that would have translated, to an athletic department, you know, that had a huge overwhelming football presence. I think that's always been kind of a mystery is how Bruce would have adapted. Uh, but with the, with the place he was and the size that he was, you know, dealing with, he was, he was basically the perfect man for that job. Couldn't agree more. I mean, I think if, I think the, the first, his, his, I suppose his obvious gift would be spotting talent. Like you pointed out. But to me, what's hard is, and what makes him maybe hard to study and take away from, is like his greatest gift is just who he is. Like the reality is, sometimes the greatest people at their specific profession and whatever it is they do, they have something that is just totally them that isn't necessarily you can take. Like you can try to match Rass's uh, person, you know, being personable and getting out in front of people, but like it's also him shaking hands and talking to people. And I just know for me, obviously I've, whether I was playing 
getting there early to shoot before games or being a media member covering games on the radio and TV, getting there early before games. The one guy that is always at every Creighton basketball game, two hours before tip, walking all around the arena, all yep. around the arena, shaking hands with everybody from kids to boosters to random fans. He's up in the concourse. He is, it's every game, Dirk. Like he's at, like, that is. That's just work ethic, but it's also like he's the one that's able to make those personal connections. And on some level, you do that for two decades, it makes a difference. Yep. Let me give you, let me give you one small example. And again, there are lots of these examples. Um, and you know 10 of them off the top of your head, and I know 10 of them off the top of my head. But back in, I don't know, 2014 or something like that, I wrote a column that Creighton fans weren't excited about. Um, it was, I don't know if it was critical or if it was just, um, I was, I was overwhelmingly supportive of Creighton, especially in those days. I mean, I was a Doug McDermott Homer through and through, but, um, but, but I had written something that was a little bit, um, either, either critical or or controversial in their eyes or, or too supportive of Nebraska and Tim miles or something like that. And, and it, it had gotten back to Bruce and, Bruce sent me an email, probably three or four paragraphs long, that basically said, you know, you're catching some grief for this. Uh, I actually agree with you. I thought it was a good point. You know, I appreciate all that you guys do covering covering Creighton basketball and all this stuff. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily shape what you write. I mean, I've I've been critical of Creighton over the years, Mm -hmm. Uh, but but it does sort of it's just one of those little things that like I got that email and I'm like, there is not there may be three other ADs in the country who would have done that, you know, who would have who would have responded in that way to to someone being critical of their, you know, their program, their baby. Um, And, you know, Bruce responds with, you know, sort of basically. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, and it's just, just an example of, of the little things that he does that, that I just think made him who he was. Yeah. I mean, that's a great anecdote and it's, it's a really cool, cause that's, that's kind of how he is. And the other thing, and I don't know if some of this is also fit because Creighton not having a football team and it's, it's just, it's smaller, right? Like it doesn't, let's be honest, like how Nebraska feels compared to Creighton is different. And, and that matters. But I also can't think of any other athletic director, Dirk, that makes connections with the athletes like he does. Like, I don't – I can't recall ever interacting with Lou Perkins, who was the Kansas athletic director. Not one time. I don't remember ever speaking to him, and nor did any of my teammates. Like, no one had a connection with the AD. But Rass was different in that regard. And I think you even see that a little bit in the snapshot of – when his his retirement was announced, you saw people from Brody Darren to Will Artino to Jahins Managa to Austin Chapman to Dotzler to Toby Hagner uh, all tweeting messages of support and admiration and appreciation for Rass. And I just, I don't, I can't think of, like if Gene Smith retires, I don't think Justin Fields is writing some big tweet like, wow, really love you, appreciate everything you did, or, or j- he's just one example. And I also think he has that part of it too, but it all goes back to that human touch and human connection. Yeah, and, th- and that goes back to work ethic. I mean, that yeah. just goes back. You, you only accomplish that with time. You know, you have to invest the time to build those relationships. You can't fabricate that stuff. 
Um, and, and, you know, I think it is worth pointing out that he loved basketball so much oh. that, that he was sort of like the emeritus basketball coach, you know, at Creighton. Like it, you know, he's, <laughs> right. He's, he's watching that closer than anybody else. I don't think he probably had the same relationships with the soccer players You're probably right. Did, right. You know, as the basketball players. But, you know, that was part of his fun in the job was watching Creighton, you know, develop the way that it did. And, you know, you'd sit next to him at a game or, you know, and you could you could spend 15 minutes talking to him about his real opinions, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes sometimes hard opinions uh, about, you know, what Creighton was doing and not doing and, you know, how they were playing well and not playing well. Um, and, and I always appreciated that too, as he was, he was always pretty honest with you, but, but he really loved basketball. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I'm glad that he got to have all the opportunities that he did and become, you know, nationally known with, with Jay Wright and all the guys that he knew because he, loves he just, hoops, he, he absolutely loves the game. Yes. You know, and the, the other, the, I mean, he's one of those guys too, uh, zero ego, um, very self-deprecating. You know, I mean, this is a big, powerful figure in the in the college athletics world, and he would walk up and make fun of himself to you. You know, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like he and and I think there's 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 something about about that too that draws people to him, where you know you're not dealing with someone that thinks he's you know hot shit. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't he he doesn't feel like he he has got a, a humbleness to him that is also, I think, magnetic as well and. And Nick, that always comes back in, in every person that you meet, that you say that about, that will always come back to their, you know, comfort in their own skin, their, um, you know, their self, their self, um, you know, self-esteem and their, their, their sense of who they are and their comfort with who they are. So I think that sincerity is a directly, you know, is a direct result of uh of just his his comfort and his balance in life and knowing who he is do you what was the uh turning point for his time at Creighton is it hiring Dana is it the move to the quest center like what what do you think made it so all of a sudden Creighton got put on this path to being where they're at now was it Doug was it Greg like no I think it was Altman I mean I'm a little partial to that era because I I, I gravitate toward uh, stories, you know, sort of the rags to riches stuff. And I think Creighton was at a real moment of rags, you know, back Ooh. in 1994. Yeah. Um, and I have kind of fond memories of watching it develop in the late 90s. And I was I was going to, you know, going to more games and, and stuff like that. But um, but it was it was a, a monumental move uh, to hire Dana and and to to sort of help him get that thing turned around. There's a great anecdote. (laughs) I was looking at it the other day. So he hires Altman. And again, he's sort of like the, the, uh, the emeritus assistant basketball coach, you know, (laughs) overseeing Dana Altman. And he, you know, he, he's got a great understanding of, of Iowa. So he goes and he comes back one day and, and he says, you know, there's a point guard in, in Ankeny, Iowa that, uh, that I think you should look at Dana and, and Dana's like, you know, what's, uh, tell me about him. And, and, you know, Bruce, Bruce is like, well, he's, he's kind of slow and he's kind of undersized and he's, he's only an average shooter, but he's, he's got this great heart and everything. And, and Dana says, please don't tell me he's white. <laughs> and, and, and Bruce, Bruce says, yes, he's white. 
And of course it was Ryan Sears yep. who became, you know, one of the most important players in Creighton history. Um, but, but, you know, Bruce really had, he had a passion for it. I think he was, you know, he, he certainly let the, the men's basketball coach at Creighton do his job, but, but at the same time, you know, he was, he was very, very invested in, in the decisions that, that Dana and Greg McDermott were making. And uh, I think it really all goes back to, to hiring, evaluating, identifying, yep. and, and hiring Dana Altman. I think that was the star of everything. It's just pretty amazing when you think about, you know, Rass tells the story. I think you wrote about it. He saw, he saw Dana at Moberly Junior College and was struck by him. You know, and then there's the story that Greg McDermott tells that Rass told Greg McDermott after a a Missouri Valley Conference tournament loss that, hey, listen, if if my job ever Creighton ever opens up, you're going to be my first call. And and it's just pretty amazing for him to have an eye for that. You know, like it's not like the world was beating down Dana Altman and Greg McDermott's doors in, you know, in, in the mid nineties for Dana. And then in, you know, around 2010 for Greg McDermott, but yet Rass saw something and Nick, neither one, neither one. They were both in very similar situations. Right. I mean, Dana was probably a year from getting fired at K state and Greg McDermott was a year from getting fired at Iowa state. And, you know, I think it took a coach's, you know, it took a former coach. I don't think a typical administrator, you know, would look at it the way that he did. It took a former coach to say, well, the situation wasn't right here or the the circumstances weren't, you know, conducive to their success here, but it could be at Creighton, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think most administrators would look at it and say, well, you know, this is a failed power five coach, you know, how's this going to work? Uh, how am I going to sell this? And, and, and Bruce basically said, forget all that. I, I see a skill in this guy, or I see a, you know, an intangible in this person that will translate very well to Creighton. And, and I, that takes a lot of, it takes a lot of confidence. Yep. It takes a lot of talent. It takes a lot of guts. Um, but, but those two situations are so fascinating because, because they're so similar. Right. I know. They're, yeah, I guess they're, they're they're almost carbon copies of each other. Like, it's bizarre, you know? I mean, Dirk, and the thing that, I mean, I've thought about Rass a lot over the last couple of days, and I wish, I'm not sure, I think Johnny Atow was there. There was a moment at the end of a, so there's a Creighton Hall of Fame induction ceremony when it was Dana and Kyle Korver going into the Hall of Fame, and Rass had this idea, instead of making Dana and Kyle give speeches, why don't Rass and then me, so it was me, Rass, Dana, and Kyle Korver up on stage. And we kind of just did an interview. Rass would ask a question to Kyle, I'd ask a question to Dana, and it was it was really cool. And as the night was, was ending, like, you know, Rass was wrapping up the night, Dana stopped everything. Stopped, I mean, just put his hand on Rass and pulled the mic away from him. And Dana proceeded, and you know Dana. Dana proceeds to give this heartfelt message about RAS in front of everyone and say, when the book is written on Creighton basketball and Creighton athletics, this is the guy. And for, for a guy in RAS that, that is not out for the limelight or any of that stuff, I've never seen, he was fighting back tears and the place just erupts. The, 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 the room gives a standing ovation for a guy that deserved it. And for me, on, on a night that was about Dana and Kyle, my biggest memory of the night was that moment. And I just thought it was it was so powerful that Dana stopped everything to make sure that Rass got his moment when 
when he could, could control it a little bit. Well, and first of all, that's special because that's not Dana's style. No. Right? That's, that is not something that Dana's probably done very often in his life. And not because he's, he's arrogant, but it's just, it's just not his thing. Um, but secondly, it's, it's powerful because everybody in the room, I'm sure, you know, knew that it was true, uh, that there was not, it was not a promotional thing. It was not trying to make somebody feel better or patronizing that it was truth. And, and again, I go back to you, you do that, you make that impact. Um, this, let's just make a quick contrast between Tom Osborne and, and Bruce Rasmussen and two of probably the most successful athletic figures, you know, in Nebraska history for, uh, in, in different sports and for different reasons, Osborne, because of the, because of the magnitude of Nebraska football, um, yes, he made a lot of personal connections, but, it, but it, his, his thing was largely because of how he affected people through a TV screen or from 200 yards away. Uh, there was an integrity and, and a loyalty to him that's just sort of um, – you didn't have to know him personally to feel it. And so it was sort of broadcast to the masses. Rasmussen is different in that everybody in that room that you're talking about had probably felt Bruce Rasmussen's handshake, yes. you know, had probably been greeted by him personally. Um, and, and I think that's what's different about Creighton basketball is there was always just sort of a home, you know, sort of a hometown main street, um, friendly face to face appeal to it. Um, that, that, you know, in some ways has been lost, I think, mm -hmm. uh, because of how big it's become, but certainly back in the nineties and the early two thousands, um, the, and, and when he sort of made his biggest impact, um, and sort of created those bonds, you know, he was doing that, he was doing that face to face, flesh to flesh. And, and I think that's what makes him so special is right. that, is that he did it personally with personal touch and you only create that personal touch when you invest an extraordinary amount of time. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, he's the most influential figure in Creighton sports history, right? Yep. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it's much, I don't think there's much debate to it. I think, you know, had he left 10 years ago, um, you know, he'd be, he'd be up near the top, but, right. but at this point, I don't, I don't think there's much, you know, debate. Dirk Chatlin, Omaha World Herald. Dirk, I kept you an hour. This was awesome. Um, great insight. Again, I urge everybody, go read Dirk's story on Bruce Rasmussen, his kind of journey um, and, and impact at, at Creighton. It's on, it's on the World Herald's website. Uh, Dirk, awesome stuff, pal. I'm sure we'll catch up in a couple of months and we'll have more crazy things to talk about. All right. It never stops, Nick. That's Thank right. you. You got it, Dirk. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. And I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it. And how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent 
at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable, and Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Man, it's great stuff with uh, with Dirk Chatlin of the Omaha World Herald, and it is especially good to pick his brain on Bruce Rasmussen. Again, a guy who I've... Uh, I've known for, I mean, almost 20 years now, and I feel like I have a unique, a unique relationship and perspective on on Rass because, yeah, I was a basketball player when he was the athletic director, obviously. So I, you know, we kind of built a relationship there. I was a graduate assistant for Dana Altman, so I was in the, the you know the coaches' offices every day, kind of working for Coach Altman, but also Bruce Rasmussen. I mean, his office was basically right across from the little office or nook that that I had, so I was saw him every day in that capacity. And then now being in the media and still kind of being around the program, whether it's covering the, the team as a, the radio analyst or doing my work with Fox Sports 1, I've, I've been around him in that capacity. And, you know, he is a, he's a special guy, you know, and, and Dirk and I kind of touched on a lot of the stuff with him but you know he was he was one of those guys that every time and this this is regardless of when I was now when I was playing back in 2005 and 2006 like when when I was a coach and and in the offices like he had, he has a way of of he always made whenever I talked to Rass I always he made me feel great like he always made you feel important he made you feel good about yourself and not in an overt kind of BS, like kissing your ass kind of a way. You know what I mean? Like he he was always so sincere. But every time I talked to Rass, he all I always left the conversation feeling better about myself and feeling better about life. And that takes a unique person to be able to do that. And I think anybody from you know Coach Booth, the volleyball coach, to Jim Flannery, to Dana Altman, to Greg McDermott, to to anybody that's that comes into contact with him on a daily basis that either was you know with Creighton in some capacity kind of can feel the same way and you know it's I think it's a variety of things he's a really good listener like you know certain guys in those positions they're kind of they're not talking to you they're talking at you you know like he actually is is engaging with you listening to you has a great memory of things that's going on in your life asks you about them like little things that you can kind of roll your eyes at, but that make a huge difference. The other thing that I told Dirk, um, zero ego, like a guy that would be the first to make fun of himself. Like, I mean, oftentimes I, the, the famous Rast line I'd always, he always would give me, I'd go, what's up, Rast? And he always go, well, I can only tell you what's not, you know, almost, I mean, instantly kind of disarming you. Like, listen, I may be this, the guy that's in charge of all this, right? And one of the most important people in the city of Omaha and in all of college athletics. But listen, I'm a, I got no ego. I'm going to make fun of myself. That also is endearing, right? Self-deprecating, incredibly funny guy. Like really, really hysterical dude to to chat with. Uh, always has great one-liners um, of humor. But the other thing he always had, he always has great lines of perspective too. I've never been around a guy, and it's almost as if he sits in his office or at his house and just like, reads books on sayings and quotes because he also had a way of anytime you talk to him about anything. I remember this, whether I was a player after a tough win or, or a tough loss or, or a great moment, like, or, or even now, like he has a way of when you talk to him, he could, he could have a saying that would provide perspective on something in the moment, right? Like, and it was, were some of them a little cheesy and corny? I guess maybe a little bit, but 
they, they were there always was they always really interesting, extremely interesting. I just always felt like anytime I talked to Rass, not only did he make me feel better about myself, but I always felt like I was smarter after I talked to him. Uh, I, I I told it I just said it to Dirk, but like. It's pretty special, and that's why like it always was puzzling to me. And I get that Nebraska and its size is different than Creighton. But whenever I would hear these stories about Bill Moose not being at basketball games, you know, he, it, not being at sporting events, and his, his, his suite would always be empty at Pinnacle Bank Arena, I always, that always was puzzling to me because of RAS. Like, every I've been to every, basically every single basketball game. Every single Creighton basketball game since 2005. Been at every one. And every game, think about all those games for 15, 16 years. The dude that was at every game, two hours before the game, walking around the arena, walking from section to section, walking to the concourse, shaking hands with people, talking to Creighton fans, was Rass. Like, there's no... His secret sauce is... is his ability to make personal connections. And that takes, like Dirk said, it takes time and it takes effort. And so, you know, this isn't for me to throw shade at Bill Moose, but that was always something that was like, when I'd hear about Bill Moose not in any Nebraska games, I'm just like, I, I would have this image of Rass. Walking around the arena every game, talking to everybody. To the people, to the cheerleaders, to, you, you know, uh, to big boosters, to the students, to fans, to people up in the concourse on dollar beer night drinking a beer. Like, he talked to everybody. And it makes a difference. And I think it's that, that like people felt like they made it. Find one, it'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that's been a fan of or around Creighton basketball in the city of Omaha that hasn't made some sort of personal connection with Rass. And it's a, he's a special dude, man. And I know he made an impact with all the players. And again, I, it's just, that's not that's not typical. That, that's not typically how it goes where athletic directors make a connection with the players. And like I said, that, 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 that moment in that Hall of Fame induction ceremony for Dane Altman and Kyle Corver, when I was up on stage with him, like I get emotional thinking about it. Like, what Dana said about Rass and the standing ovation, like, it was a powerful moment for a guy that deserved it. And, yeah, I know for me, the guy is, the guy's been there for me from the moment I met him. That guy's had my back. Bruce Rasmussen has had my back from the moment I met that guy back when I was, a you know, a 21-year-old kid. Like, he's helped me. He's been there for me. A lot of people don't know he was he really helped beat down the door with Fox Sports One for me, calling all the decision makers at Fox. You got to give this kid Nick Baugh a chance. Trust me, he does radio for us. He's, you got to give him a chance. Got to give him a chance. Got to give him a chance. He's making those calls for me. He's he's going to bat for me. Meetings, Big East meetings with with the television partners. Rass is going to bat for me. That stuff matters. You know, when I was going through my health problems in 2016, you know, 
had a two strokes in my cerebellum, had a tumor in my chest, had to have massive surgery, all that stuff. That guy, Bruce Rasmussen, was calling me, texting me, calling other. He obviously has connections with doctors. Hey, I talked to this doctor. He, the, I, you could, we, if you want me, we can get in contact with him. Like he was there for me in in a rough stretch in my life. You know, and even little things like I looked, I looked this up. He, Ras, Ras tweeted the day my my daughter was born, Mava. She's now five years old. Ras tweets, "Welcome to the world, Mava Ba. Mava means one who intoxicates. An appropriate name on multiple levels for Nick's first daughter." That stuff matters, man. It matters. It just, it matters. And I'm, I'm one of thousands and thousands and thousands of people whose lives he's touched. So, cheers to Raz, man. Just, just a, a guy that just shows you what you can do when you give it, when you care about people. You have no ego, no agenda for yourself. Care about people. Put others first. What a guy. What a career. I mean, what he's done at Creighton is just absurd, man. Just absurd. Like fighting back tears in my own pod room. What am I doing? (laughs) What am I doing? What a guy, though. Cheers to Rass. I got to get him on the pod. I'm going to get him on the pod, and we'll kind of go through his career. So, Rass, if you're listening, I'm going to get you on the pod. Okay, before I get out of here, get my ass from stop crying here. Jeez, embarrassing. Um, before I get out of here, I, real, real quick, I want to talk about I want to talk about Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks real quick. Uh, so I'm taping this. It's uh, it's it's July 21st. It's about two o'clock in the afternoon. I, I, last night was the was Game Six. Bucks win the NBA title. And you know, so you know. That that game six closeout performance for Giannis, man, that's on the short list of all-time great NBA Finals performances. 50 points, 14 rebounds, five blocks. He made all of his free throws pretty much, maybe his one or two, just total domination. Earning him Finals MVP. And so now all of a sudden you kind of stop and smell the roses a little bit with, with Giannis. 26 years old. He's 26. He's an NBA champion, two-time MVP. He's Finals MVP. And, and he's won a defensive player of your award. This tweet from, from ESPN, only players with multiple MVPs, a defensive player of the year award, and a finals MVP, the only players with all three of those things are Michael Jordan and Giannis. He's 26. He didn't start playing until he's 12. Like, he he's a guy that feels like he's only getting better and better and better, right? Like, he's far from, like, he's kind of just entering his prime. And it's, I'm as I'm watching, I was watching the finals and, and watching that game last night, game six, the 50-point burger from, from Giannis. And I was thinking about Giannis and a bunch of other things with the NBA and, and, and basketball. The first thing I thought about is, is think about if Kevin Durant's foot is six inches further back, just just five, six inches further back, 
the Bucks lose in the Eastern Conference Finals. And and also let's be real, if Kyrie ankle does if Kyrie Irving doesn't sprain his ankle, Brooklyn was going to win that series and win it easy. So yes, they caught some breaks. But that's a part of it, right? Really, you go through all championships in major sports, and it's kind of rare to not find a break in that journey. But the other, so so that was the first thing I was thinking about. But the other thing was, like just two weeks ago, Giannis had what looked like a brutal knee injury. How Giannis didn't tear every ligament in his knee is beyond me. He didn't play for a few games in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Hawks. And quite frankly, that's what makes this so amazing. I thought it, I thought he wasn't going to play in the finals. I thought it was more likely that he wasn't going to play in the finals than play. And listen to what we're talking about. It's amazing. So when you contrast that with what we saw in the finals from Giannis, it's one of the more miraculous and incredible things you'll ever see. So his, his entire series... 35 points per game, 13 rebounds per game, five assists per game, 61% from the field. On top of that, he has two iconic NBA plays. Like like the kind of plays you're going to see in highlight packages for the finals moving forward. You have the block in what was that, game four in Milwaukee where he's, he, he hedges a ball screen, hedges a ball screen and then recovers on a lob to DeAndre Ayton and blocks it at the rim unbelievable play and then you have the lob dunk to seal the win in game five in Phoenix where there's basically only a handful of people in the history of basketball that could have made that play in terms of running outrunning everybody down the floor having the athleticism to to get off his feet catch finish the lob from Drew Holiday it's like who makes who else makes that play LeBron that might be it prime LeBron might be the only other guy that can make that kind of a play and then he has the iconic all-time legendary closeout game, dropping 50 points to, to win it. Remarkable. And it's just, it's, and what's amazing to think about is, I'll be honest with you guys, I was always kind of lukewarm on Giannis's game. A year ago, two years ago, I was real like ho-hum on Giannis. I wasn't sure if he'd ever kind of achieve elite postseason playoff success just because of his offensive limitations. I wondered how good he could be because he can't really shoot from the perimeter. He's not a great free throw shooter. What what he does best is kind of that head of steam and transition stuff that you can kind of get in the regular season, but the playoffs are different because it, it's, it's slowed down. It's more of a half-court game. I guess I just wasn't sold to the degree that you would think when discussing a two-time MVP. I wasn't sold on him like that. But that's what makes sports the best. Because Giannis went out and he earned it. That's what I love about sports is you got to go earn it. You got to go really earn it. Nothing's handed to you. You got to go earn it. And he earned it to me. To the point where, while I might not totally 1,000% agree with it, if someone would walk in this podcast room and say Giannis is the best player in the world, I can understand that position. I can understand it. I guess for me, I'm just, I'm not sure there's ever been a player, maybe Dirk in 2011, that rose up 
in the ladder in my mind and changed how I view them in a in the postseason like Giannis just did for me. Where like if you if you timestamp how I felt about them in two months ago and then how I view them and and think about them now, I'm not sure there's been a, a greater change than Giannis has in my in my mind. And that's cool, man. Because listen, he had somewhat been dismissed after winning the MVP twice and not making it to the finals. Because he he'd not been great in the playoffs up until this year. He had, he somewhat earned all that criticism and skepticism. But that's what's always so cool about sports. If you're an athlete, you're the one in control. You're the one that actually holds all the cards. You don't like the narrative. You don't like the skepticism. You don't like the criticism. You can change it. You don't like the doubt, the hate. You can change it. And Giannis did. He earned it. And the other thing is this. The other thing, the other thing I was thinking about is this. Now, I've said this before. I can be for player power and player mobility, but also recognize its domino effect negatively. Just like in college basketball for or college football, I can be for player mo, you know, players being able to transfer and move. I can be for that, but recognize it could it could it could have some ramifications negatively. But in the NBA, listen, if Kevin Durant wants to join the Warriors. If LeBron wants to go to Miami and, and the Lakers, if, if Kevin Durant, Harden, and Kyrie want to go to the Brooklyn Nets, if that's what they want, then that's what they want. It's their lives. But I just think as a fan of basketball and a consumer of the NBA, I think it it I don't I don't want it it makes for a worse experience for me. I don't enjoy it as much. I still watch it. I still love it. I'm not going to be one of those disingenuous people you see on Twitter. I don't watch the, I hate the NBA. I don't watch it because, eh, no. I still watch it. I still love it. I just don't love it as much. Because two things. Number one, I think super teams and, and superstars teaming up I think it actually, in a roundabout way, devalues those individual superstars and it devalues the role players on those teams as well. Like, the stars on the 96 Bulls, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and the role players, Kerr, Paxson, Harper, Kukoc, are all more important when it's built like that. Like, I'm watching, you know, Bobby Portis and, and Pat Connaughton and Brooke Lopez. Those guys are more important in that situation. And so are Middleton and Giannis. Andrew Holiday. And then number two, and this is the most important thing. What is what is fun to watch in sports is the journey and the struggle of an individual athlete or a team. That's what's fun to watch. What's That's what makes them succeeding and winning that much more sweet. Watching Michael Jordan lose to the Pistons over and over and over and then finally get over that hump and win a title, 
was that much more sweet for us to watch and for him to experience because there was a struggle. There was a journey that we all saw. Giannis and the Bucks have that struggle. And to watch them overcome that makes it that much more sweet to watch and that much more sweet for Giannis when they finally get over the hump and win. Listen, this this feels first take Skip Bayless-esque a little bit, but like not all titles are created equal. This Milwaukee Bucks title means more on every level than a Brooklyn Nets title would have. Because with Brooklyn, where's the struggle? Where's the journey? Really think about that for both of Think about the confetti raining down. Think about Giannis, that emotional scene of he, he puts his championship T-shirt on, he, he puts his hat on, he sits down on that the, the chair right underneath the basket, he's crying. Like, you felt that because you've seen his struggle and seen the journey. Now, let's just say in an alternate universe, Kyrie Irving doesn't sprain his ankle, James Harden doesn't pull his hammy, and same image is happening in Brooklyn, and you see Kyrie Irving doing that. Does it feel the same? To me, it doesn't. Great accomplishment. I'm not going to like minimize the accomplishment, but it doesn't feel the same. It's not, it's not as impactful. So, you know, in a league that, that sees the vast majority of its superstars demanding trades, leaving franchises to team up and create these super teams, I find Giannis and the Bucks refreshing and needed. Giannis even talked about that in his post-game press conference. Basically said, hey, listen, man, I could have I could have left. I could have joined a super team, but that's the easy way out. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I did it the hard way, and now I'm a champ. Again, I can be for player power, but but I can also recognize it's seemingly negative ramifications on a variety of levels for the fan experience. So I think Giannis and the Bucks winning is refreshing and needed. And also, in a, in a league where its stars are seemingly consumed with their brand and consumed with, you know, narratives and all that stuff, like, and a bunch of other BS, I find Giannis to be refreshing and needed because Giannis is zero drama. Like, Giannis doesn't care about social media or his, or, like, I don't even know if there is a Giannis brand or something like that. Like, for as much as you guys know I'm a LeBron lover and LeBron, like, that's part of LeBron. That part of LeBron gets exhausting. It's just drama all the time. Just drama, drama, drama. I mean, I love LeBron. Like, love LeBron. I'm a LeBron supporter. But in some ways, Giannis is refreshing in in that regard. I am a lover of basketball. So I always think about whoever wins the title and its impact on the sport as a whole. How does Team X winning impact the game? I think the Bucs 
winning a title is great for the sport and great for the NBA. So congrats to the Milwaukee Bucks and congrats to Giannis. You earned it. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.